How's everyone doing today? There's a stretching sound. That was odd. Jason, is this yours? Did you discard your water up here? You sing like a rugged angel. <laughs> it is a treat. <clears throat> okay. Oh. All right, come on up here. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Exodus chapter 3. That's where we will be today. And uh, once you get there, we'll go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Yeah, Lloyd, how you doing? You got it right there? You're all set? I was concerned about you. Okay, we're square. All right, let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning that we have together. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon the time that we spend uh, studying your words, Lord, and and the impact that you had on this man's life, the message that's embedded there for all women and all men in all places, in all time. I know that you have something here for us today. I pray, God, that, that you're able to articulate that idea better than I you know, humanly can. Um, that, that we would leave here seeing you clearly, Lord, worshiping you fully and, and just burning brightly. And Lord, I trust that into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, so Sam um, asked me to continue through our core values, uh, the series that we're currently in while he is out of town. Um, and it's an honor to do so. Last year, I was able to share with you about water, right? And, uh, and we went through that message together. Um, I actually missed that one uh, this year here. Uh, it was, what was that? Was that Miles had a cold that day? Let's go ahead and say that so it doesn't make us look like sinners. But <laughs> I wasn't there for that day. Um, but but we, we've been going through these kind of elemental associations with uh, our core values. And we started with wind and we went on to water and then to wood and then uh, now to fire. I mean, I don't think I missed any, uh, but if I did, um, what was it? There was dirt in there? Oh, so it's earth, not dirt. So it's like other stuff, like Captain Planet. I feel like maybe you weren't here for that day also. You, uh, you did miss it. That's, that's fantastic. We're both, but you have the benefit of the screen. See, I can't do that. I just, this would be tremendously awkward. Just looking back there this whole time. Oh, but that is helpful. Okay. Um, so, so I, last week we did talk about wood and it was this whole idea of structure. And I feel like, uh, that, that this message concerning fire, uh, follows that one quite well. Uh, this, this sort of idea of wooden structure and we, and we love structure and we set up structures and, and we lean on them and, and, and we cling to them and, and they make us feel, they make us feel just swell. Right. And, and, and you have this structure and you feel like, well, this was doing well at some point in history. So let's just go ahead and parlay that into the entire human experience for all time. And, and we feel like if it was effective at one point, uh, then, then it just must be eternally so. And God has mandated the thing. And, and then, and then God comes with fire. 
Because God is not in our wooden structure. God is, according to uh, the, 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 the book of Hebrews in twelve twenty nine, a consuming fire. And he just ignites the whole lot of it. And, and, and with relevance, consumes it. And, and all that's left in the ashes of an irrelevant structure is an eternally relevant God. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful that we get to study that uh, to, today, to see uh, all of it burned away, all of our attempts to, to trust in something else besides him uh, for, for every moment of our existence, because he is the only one uh, worthy of it. So today we're going to be talking about fire and how relevance to culture is not uh, is, is not an option, is not optional. Whatever it is that Sam said, I'm, I'm trying to follow him closely so that he doesn't yell at me again. He does that from time to time. It's horrifying. So in order to do that, we'll be in, in Exodus uh, chapter 3. And, and if you're already there, we'll begin in the first verse. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led uh, the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire and, and, and from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And, and so Moses uh, thought, I will, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your, of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I love that idea of returning to uh, to this mountain, this place of significance. It's not just where God met Moses. It's it's where 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 God gives Moses this picture of His desire for all people that that you will meet me, you will all worship me on this mountain. This morning, I want to share with you something that I've never realized uh, before. All week, I agonized over this topic relevance. Is a is a sensitive subject. It really is, and and uh, churches are called all sorts of disparaging things that be, because of their perceived uh, association with it and sensitivity to it. And 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 so Sam 
uh, in his infinite wisdom, goes one step one step further than dismissing the perceived association. He he just says that this is what we're about, and and then one step beyond that, he goes ahead and he makes it a, a pillar of our community, and and it's an incredibly bold move. But then he leaves town, <laughs> and he asks me to talk about it. Uh, well played. Um, but last night, last night as I was praying about this idea and 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 all the information that I had collected and and uh, you know these these correlating scriptures and and systematic theologies that I'd begun to organize, I, I just I, I was very excited to to talk to you about all of this. And, and then God seemed to remind me about a passage. It was this passage, and about and about uh, and about a fact uh, forgotten a forgotten fact within this passage, and then he impressed upon me to share that with you. Um, so it's going to be a little unusual today, maybe. And I'm not sure how long this will all take. I'm going to hold loosely to many of my ideas as we make our way through it. So you're going to get to see a maybe uh, incredibly unorganized version of me, and I hope that that will not impact your impression of Genesis as a community. Sam is sensational. So come back next week. He'll be here. Okay, so in order to see the significance of this passage, you really have to understand the context uh, that created it. Moses being saved from an attempted genocide, but certainly an infanticide, right, uh, was, was brought in by the very family that initiated the extermination of his people. And he lived for 40 years in the luxury of that household. For 40 years, he, 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 he lived and, and gleaned all the benefits from these monstrous uh, people, uh, completely oblivious, maybe, to, to the fact that, that he was not of them, that, that he, he didn't fit with them, and that, that he should have never been in the midst of them. And, and at some point, and we don't know exactly when, when it was, uh, he realized the deception. He realized the, the, the heartlessness of, of their actions, uh, of the actions of these people that he called family. And, and the guilt that must have washed over him in that moment as, as he enjoyed their luxury while his real family suffered uh, in, in slavery and, and this caused him to attempt to be something and to do something that, that he really had no business being and doing on his own and, and in his own strength. And in a moment, he saw his purpose. He saw meaning of his existence. And it was all stretched out in front of him, this great road to the redemption of his people. And, 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 and he capitalized on that meaning, on that purpose. And he saw, he saw and an, an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. And he said, this is the moment I can step in and, and capture my purpose, capture my meaning, capture redemption for these people. And, and, he, and he murdered this Egyptian. And then he hid it. But he couldn't. And, and it, was, it was discovered. His sin was, was uncovered. And then he was just as tainted as the rest of them. There was blood on on his hands and 
And he, he, he must have thought, well, how could God possibly use me now? I'm no good to anyone. And so he fled. And, 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 and he ran for his life corrupted. He ran for his life cursed. And he ran for his life into the desert to spend the next 40 years in, in utter obscurity. And now 80 years has passed. 80 years brought him to this point where we meet him again in Exodus chapter 3. And he was no longer an Egyptian. And he was no longer an Israelite. And he was essentially nothing. He's the perfect picture of cultural irrelevance. And, and God, God transcends that picture of cultural irrelevance with this one, with a burning bush. With a burning bush. His commentary on cultural irrelevance. Now, I don't know, uh, maybe you're... You're all better than I am, right? I'm going to go ahead and assume that always and all the time that you've asked this question that I never did before yesterday. But the question I asked for the first time in my life yesterday was, why a burning bush? Yeah, you ever asked yourself that question? I don't know. I never did. I never thought for a moment, why did God choose a burning bush? Right, but but I don't think... I don't think that it's an accident because I don't really believe that God makes accidents. I believe that, that every breath he breathes is, is just loaded with meaning and purpose and significance. And that, and that if God chose this, then there must be a reason why God chose this. There's not some wheel, you know, up in heaven and he just spins it and he's like, okay, well, this time I'm going to appear in a grilled cheese sandwich. Next time I'll be the burning bush. You know, it's, it's not what God, that's not what God does. That's not how God operates. There's a meaning to it. There's, there's a point uh, to it. And, and, and you can see that, that, that it's significant to God. It's a calculated decision. He says, I'm going to do this. My very presence will be in that bush to meet that man in that place. It's all clearly organized. And, and Moses, and you see him stumble upon the moment. And you can read verse three again. I think that the text almost gives Moses more credit. He sounds a little bit smarter than what he should sound like if we were reading it today. He kind of just walks up and says, look, a bush. Why come it doesn't burn down? Right? He sounds incredibly ignorant in this moment. It's just something bizarre. And maybe the significance, maybe the significance of all of this was nothing more than God knew that it was going to be something bright and shiny <laughs> and it would get Moses' attention. Because maybe that's all, that's all he was concerned with at this point in his life. But I doubt it. I really doubt it. I, I see something here that, that, is, that is personal and, and impactful, and, 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 and I think that that, that, is, that is exactly what God's trying to show us. It's something that maybe we've, we've always missed. You see, the word here for bush in the Hebrew is seneh. It's a word translated in our Bibles as bush, right? And your Bible probably says bush too. I couldn't really find one that didn't. But, but the Hebrew word literally means thorn bush. The root is to prick. And it's, it speaks of, of bramble and, and a prickly shrub. 
I discovered that last night. I had 11 pages written. Throw them up in the air like, this was worthless. What have I been doing with my life? Because that, that is at the heart of this. Right here in the picture of a thorn bush. There's meaning here. There's a deliberate message broadcast here that goes beyond Moses. It goes to to all of us because our God is a consuming fire. But look in this passage. He refuses to consume the thorn bush. Our God is a consuming fire, but he refuses to consume this thorn bush. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, right, thorns have been a picture of and a type of sin. They came with the curse. Right? And, and this bush was a flawed vessel to capture and display God's glory to the world. Terribly flawed, full, full of thorns mingled together in the twisted up mess that this bush must have been was a pure and holy and righteous God. And what was once tainted and just discarded, forgotten, ugly, was now brilliant and bright and filled with merciful radiance. And that's exciting to me. That's exciting to me. Now listen, it's still, it's still a thorn bush. You don't see the presence of God fall on it. This fire ignited and engulfing it. And it becomes, you know, an oak tree. That doesn't happen. Right? It's, 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 consumed to a degree but it's not destroyed you see its identity is perfectly preserved so it can still be seen for what it really is at its core and and in the presence and in its presence on that mountain right there's there's this unique moment where a fire settles on a thorn bush that does not exist in isolation. Now, I've never watched any movies capturing this moment. Maybe you have. I think there's a Disney one. But I never even saw any Disney movies until I got married. And then Corinne said that I needed to start watching them. And then we fought about it. And I won, and we watched Terminator. <laughs> but uh, but I, I've always imagined this moment, and maybe this is the way it's it's captured in in these in these things. And, and you have a hill, and it's just a perfect hill, and you have a bush, and it's just a perfect bush, and then you have a fire, and it's just a perfect fire, and you can see the sun maybe setting gracefully on the far side of it, casting a shadow upon Moses from it. But is that the way thorn bushes grow? Oh, they're, they're, they're wild and ubiquitous. And when you find one, you find a million of them. 
And yet in the midst of a million thorn bushes, there's a moment where God says, this is what can happen. This is what it can look like when I come, when I fall upon you, when I don't overwhelm you, consume you, erase you. You're still you. You're still thorny. You're still prickly. But you have me and my mercy and my grace through out you, within you, dwelling richly before you. Listen, hope is there. Meaning is there. Direction is there. Moses saw his reflection in that fire thousands of years ago, and I saw my reflection in that fire last night. Listen, relevance. Relevance is a really difficult thing to wrestle with. I'm not... uh, I'm not sure that anyone of us has ever really felt like they, they had a handle on this. And I'm not sure that I would listen to anyone that said that they did, right? If anyone's just like, I'm, I'm relevant, I'm the ginchiest, I'd be like, nay. That's what I'd be like, that one-word response. <laughs> listen, I've seen Christians try and attempt it, I, and, and you have too. And it's weird and embarrassing, right? Isn't it? I, I always think of whenever I think of this, um, there was one day uh, my dad would come home every every night from work at about uh, 5.30, and that's when dinner would be ready. So uh, we'd all be in the kitchen. His car would pull up. And every single night, you know, every night for life, right? Like every night for life, it'd be the oldie station. He'd pull up, and it'd just be like the Beach Boys or the Beatles or whatever it's going to be that he always listened to. And one day he pulled up and it was Snoop Dogg. <laughs> right? The weirdest thing in the world. <laughs> and he's just, you know, still my dad. He's like super, you know, old. And he's got white hair and he's got a white mustache. And they just, you know, rolls up in his car. It's like, Snoop Doggy Dogg. And, and then he just nods and then he turns off the ignition and he gets out. My brother and I never talked about it. <laughs> we, we couldn't bring ourselves to it just felt unnatural, right? It just felt unnatural. And, and I've seen Christians uh, go the other direction, just refuse relevance. And they're like, you know, we're not going to have anything to do with that. You know, and, 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 and it seems cold. It seems counterproductive. And you know what? Really, it seems, it seems completely illogical. You know, I, I, uh, I still have Christian friends that, that can't wear pants, right? That seems strange to me in 2015, doesn't it? And they're not allowed to listen to music with distortion. And, and they can't uh, socialize with people that are outside of their Christian community. It's, it's all just super weird. And in both ends of the spectrum, both ends of the spectrum uh, uh, deny our identity. They deny our identity. And there's something <clears throat> which is something that God just never wants to burn away. Right? It's, it's not something that God says, this needs to change. I need to get rid of all of this stuff. Right? And forcing you to be something that you're not, and forcing you to act like someone that you're not, uh, be, because, because God expects us to exist in a state, as He exists in a state, of perpetual relevance. Right? And, and this is a little weird to think about, maybe. I don't even know if this is the direction that Sam wanted me to go in, but, 
that's what we're doing here this morning. Um, so I'm going to be completely honest with you. There's never been a moment in my life where I felt relevant. Never. I felt like an old man when I was nine, right? And other kids are like, oh, man, did you play that video game? And I'm like, no, but I read of Mice and Men, Steinbeck, what, what? You know, it's, I've never been that guy. I've never been the one that's just, I feel, I've always been kind of an awkward nerd, you know? And I've always felt like an awkward nerd because I'm an awkward nerd, <clears throat> right? So to tell me that I have to become something that I'm not to reach people that like psychologically I don't really get makes me feel like I'm in high school all over again. And that makes my chest hurt because that was a difficult time for me, (laughs) right? Like everyone's totally other. And I was like, what? Okay. I met Corinne. Let's marry her. So, (laughs) um, I've, I've, I've never been that type of guy that could just meander in in and through, you know, these balkanized social, social tribes. That's, that's just, I've never felt comfortable with that. I had a friend like that, um, and I would always ask him questions. His name was Paul. He was the lead singer of the band I was in when I was, when I was in high school. Uh, and we were terrible, you know. We just drank a lot, you know. And, and our name, should I even say the name? Is that appropriate? It was Alcoholic Starlight. Which in hindsight was a really bad idea. I felt like it really limited our fan base. <laughs> and it was confusing also. It didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, but he would go from one group to another, and everyone loved him. And he could talk about Bob Dylan uh, with, the, you know, with, with, the, with the burnouts. He could talk about computers with the AV club, right? And, and he could talk about literature, with the honor roll kids in the library. And then he can go to the auto shop and talk about transmissions with the greasers. And then he could talk about like nail polish colors, you know, with the, with the cheerleaders and how they, you know, make your eyes pop and all this. And he was just always comfortable with that. Everyone loved him and everyone felt like he belonged to them. It was, it was a mystery to me. It always baffled me. Everyone just had this incredible sense of ownership uh, over Paul. But, that, but you couldn't really like own Paul. You couldn't nail him down. That's just who he was. He, he just didn't believe in labels and, and uh, social limitations. And that's our problem, right? I think that that's, that's right at the core of this conversation that we need to have about relevance and about fire and, and burning away this unnecessary structure. That, that's the problem. We, we've defined ourselves in an unnatural way in a totally unnatural way, that, that has invited limitations, that it's invited labels. And be, because we're so afraid to just be ourselves, we're so afraid to just be prickly. You know, So we feel like we have to hide every last thorn and pretend to be something that we're just totally not, ever. Uh, it, it, you know, people that are trying to fit into this like traditional church model fall into this snare just as well as the other guys. And that's, that's kind of, that's the thing that I, I began to realize. I mean, it, it, we've been called a lot of things here at Genesis, right? I remember when, when I first came here, um, 
I left a church that is very traditional. Many of you are familiar with that church. And, and I worked with a lot of kids over there. And uh, I was Michael there. At least I remember being Michael there. And then I came here, and I feel like I'm Michael here. And, and there was a young person that knew Michael there. And one week later, when I was Michael here, he heard me talk, and he's like, that dude's emergent, right? An emergent is, is, is like this, this group that seeks to accommodate postmodern people and, and make all of these things like subjective about uh, uh, morality and tolerance and, and everything else, and they're like ultra-relevant. And, 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 but you see, here's the thing. Those guys are just as guilty of this, this false identity, as the ultra-traditional guys. I mean, they, they say things like, we need to reach out to like these isolated people groups. We need to, you know, go <coughs> uh, hang out with like the tattooed skaters and reach out to them. And it's like, okay, that's cool. You know, it's like, uh, they go, we, we need to go to like Irvine and get together with all the postmodern neo-existentialists named Ted that live in that community. You know, it's like super linear, what their focus is, they're like super narrow. It's like there, there's a growing community of post-existentialist Teds, and we're concerned about them. And what can I just say like, yeah, that's great. I'm glad that you're concerned about these people. That's, that's a really uh, good thing. Who am I to judge that? But, 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 but Paul, whenever I'd ask Paul, Paul, what were you doing with the football players? At practice after school today, you don't play football. You never have. And say, Paul, what, what are you doing? Why did you, why did you eat lunch with my biology teacher today? Right? Because he would do that too. He'd hang out with the staff. Right? That's weird. <clears throat> and this, you're going to think I'm lying here, but I'm not. I can call references. One time, I was like, Paul, why did you join a Hasidic Jewish techno band? Right? That's weird, isn't it? And you know what his response was? It's always the same exact thing. He said, oh man, you have no idea. Let me tell you about this guy. <clears throat> Let me tell you about this girl. They are the coolest people ever. Everyone was the coolest person ever. I didn't get it. It's like, that's a logical absurdity. You can't all be the coolest person ever. But that's the way it was to Paul. It's the way it always was to Paul. Be like, you know, they're they're just they're the most interesting people on the planet. People fascinated him. And people knew he was fascinated by them. People loved him, and people knew they were loved by him. And he valued all people. He valued all people. Right? All of them. Which is crazy because we rarely even see people. Right? And this is when it's going to get a little uncomfortable, and I don't mean for it to be that way. I, I was made, you know, totes uncomfortable by all of this last night. I hardly even see people. I hardly even see people. I see groups of people, and I wonder when I stopped seeing people. I, I, see, I see titles associated with people. I see repu- reputations associated with people. I, there are people... There are people that we know that we won't like before we even meet them. And there are people that we know, listen, there are people that we know are wrong before we even talk to them. 
and we just have this mentality. We say they, they are, they are this. They believe that, or they are this. So I know this about you already. We don't even see them as humans. And, and I'd say, and I'd say that I don't see that same kind of presumption in Jesus, but I don't even think that matters. I don't even know if that's worth saying. I, because, because we all have our versions of Jesus that we exalt and, and adopt. And, and, and it's hard for so many people to get past that, to see anything in Scripture beyond that. And we just use him to support our agenda instead of just seeing who he is and worshiping that and acknowledging that. It, when did we stop letting Jesus tell us who he is? And when did we start telling Jesus who it is okay for him to be? Right? I mean, it, we take his name and then we scorn the man. We've decided what we want to accept, what we want to to, to emulate, so we, we cherry-pick bits and pieces of him. You know, for, for these you know, guys that are trying to cast off traditional uh, models for like, you know, relevance in the Christian community, they, they say things like, you know, well, Jesus was always hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, and you heard what he said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Man, he really let them have it. <clears throat> and that's Jesus but then there's all these other passages where Jesus is hanging out with the Pharisees. He's eating with them. He's having really great conversations with them. A lot of them are connecting with him, following him. He's even buried in one of their tombs, right? The traditional guys, right? Not the revolutionaries, not the weirdos. The mainline traditional guys, the suits, they're the ones that pull him down and get him set up in a tomb. He gave himself to the despised traditionalists, we would say. He gave himself to the radical revolutionaries. He even gave himself to the terrorists in his day. There was one of those on his discipleship crew, right? He got a guy that was radically unorthodox in the way that he dealt with people. He actually dealt with people. And when he said that he loved the world, he meant that he loved every single person that he encountered in the world. Every single one of them. Personally and fully. He wasn't a traditional congregationalist and they own Jesus. We need to reinforce ethics, and morality, and traditional American values. I'll just throw that in there for good measure. <laughs> right? And he wasn't he wasn't like the emergent guys. Where it's like, you know, we got to appeal to the, the postmodern community. It wasn't either of them. He was Jesus. He transcends all of them. He burns up the boundaries set by all of them. And he was, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, all things to all men. Because, just as my friend said, he saw the value in all men. And so he died 
for all men. For all of our talk about love, I'll try and wrap it up pretty soon, it always seems to be on our terms. And and that's, I think, the terrible flaw when you boil down this idea of of, of relevance. Uh, We set the boundaries for which groups will receive love and deserve love and for those that don't. Moses was a broken man in this passage. Not having received love for at least the last 40 years of his life, but but I'd, I'd venture to say that it was nearly the entirety of it, he suffered a drought. No man sought to bring him in. And so God undertook the task himself. And he did it by holding up a mirror, not only to Moses, but to the entire world, to every single one of us. That in the midst of the thorns, a fire can burn. In the midst of the thorns, a fire can burn. And he didn't strip off the thorns before he sparked it. And, and if you'll accept it, the thorns didn't fall off even after he overwhelmed it. It's not, I don't care who you are. I've been to, that's probably like a poor phrasing of that. I do care who you are. Listen, but, but I'm saying like with differences at the central, at the, at the nucleus of that statement. Um, I've been to Baptist churches, part of a Baptist congregation for a long time, you know, where, Everyone shows up on Sunday in a suit and they shout, you know, hallelujah loudly while the pastor gets up there and sweats profusely. Right? And I've, I've been to art studios where at the entrance they give you a drum to beat and a glass of wine to sip and they say, let's worship Jesus. Too many, uh, too many of these groups look down their noses at each other, right? And, and they say, you know, well, we're doing it right and you're doing it wrong. Or no, you know, we're doing it right and, and, and you're doing it wrong and, and we're relevant and, been, and you're sinful and, and we got Jesus and, and you don't have Jesus. And, and, and there's, this constant, there's this constant ongoing battle. This is the reality of this passage. We're all on that same hill together. Moses stood on that hill with more than six billion other thorn bushes. All of them prickly down to their core. Proof that Jesus could fully engulf them. Proof that Jesus could make something beautiful shine in and through them. It seems like all we see is differences and we let those differences divide us. And when I... When I talked to Paul about this, I discovered that that his big secret was that none of us are really all that different. Um, I think that maybe maybe we amplify it so that we can easily identify, categorize, and, and brand humans like cattle. But it's, it's altogether wrong. 
It's the secret that Jesus realized to relevance that's right here that allowed him to to touch the lives of men and women in all places throughout history effectively that we're not comfortable admitting. That we all share the same prickly core. I was having a conversation with a coworker not that long ago, and she was talking about her her Android phone, and um, and I have an iPhone, right? <clears throat> Someone just go woohoo! It felt like I heard that, and <laughs> and and she um, she was saying, you know, iPhones are garbage, right? Android phones, that's where it's at. I mean, these phones are just fundamentally different fundamentally better and and she just went on this rant for like half an hour and um, just sweaty impassioned and completely obtuse at the end of it I looked at her and I said sweetheart and usually I'm about to say something kind of rude when I lead with sweetheart <laughs> I said sweetheart they make calls they receive texts right you can take pictures with them you can go on the internet and you can download apps that are shared on both platforms. The vast majority of them are. Um, so let's everyone relax. <laughs> They're basically the same thing, right? But that's that's not what we want to. That's not what we want to believe. We amplify these differences when really they're few and they're inconsequential. They're few and they're inconsequential. You are not that different from the person sitting next to you, the person sitting in front of you, the person sitting behind you. Unless you're you and you don't have people sitting around you, which makes me kind of sad. Except for Gabe. Gabe, turn around and look at her. You have a friend. There you go. <clears throat> right? You know what else? You're not that different from the kids that we visit at the skate park the families at the Foothill Family Shelter. You're not that different from uh, the the kids down in Mexico and uh, the ones in Haiti, for that matter. They'll experience different things. We We all will. But it's in a quest for the essential, the the same essential goal. And Moses stared into the flames and knew it, knew it, Immediately, in that fire, in that fire, was meaning and purpose and acceptance and love. Everything he lost 40 years ago, everything he thought that he could never get back, it was calling to him in the flames of that fire, saying, Moses, this is for you. This is for you. And how quickly he responded he and all thorny humans before him and after him. Here I am. Here I am. A million names called through those flames with a million different experiences, seeing the world through a million different sets of eyes. Here I am. Why is God so relevant? because you're not the clothes that you wear, right? It's because you're not the music that you listen to. 
right? You're not the phone you have in your pocket. You're not the money that you have in your bank account. You're not the color of your skin or a million other ways that we divide ourselves from each other. You are simply this. You are a being created in the image and likeness of God. God himself for meaning, for purpose, to receive love and acceptance. To give love, acceptance. And this is how God gets to be so relevant. And this is what it looks like when we are relevant. It's when we're simply not afraid to embrace people, thorns at all, and show them who we are, thorns and all, so that the fire that has been set upon us can be caught by all the other thorny bushes on that hill. And we can all worship together in the radiance of our communal fire as God shows the world what grace and mercy and redemption really looks like. Let's go ahead and end with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning we're able to share together. Lord, I pray that I pray that we cast aside all of these things that that we've been building up around ourselves to define ourselves and and we'd see who we are at our core that we're thorny but but we're made in your image and your likeness that that those same things that burn within us, meaning and purpose, love and acceptance, all those things that you put in us are shared by every single person around us. And Lord, you can, you can connect us to them. We don't have to pretend like we're something that we're not. Because you've never done that. And you connected, you've connected perfectly to all people in all places. Lord, we don't want to call ourselves by your name and then scorn what you've done throughout human history and throughout your son. But this is how you connected. This is how we will connect. All things to all men, because we're all created of the same kind. I thank you, Lord, for the fire that you set upon us despite the fact that we're all incredibly thorny. Lord, you love us. You offer mercy to us and grace. For that, God, we are eternally thankful. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 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 Thank <laughs> you.